program. Thanks for being with me. Looking forward to talking again with uh, Richard C. Lyons uh, because on the heels of uh, Joe Biden's Valley Forge, y'all are destroying democracy if you elect Donald C. Trump, uh, Donald J. Trump. Uh, no, on the heels of that talk yesterday, I think it's good that we talked to Richard C. Lyons, author of The DNA of Democracy. Good volume morning, Randy. Shadows of the Acropolis, volume two. How you doing, Richard? Thanks for joining me. Oh, good to be here, Randy. So I, I thought this is just such a great salient uh uh, happenstance that you and I are talking because this guy absolutely, Joe Biden absolutely, I think, displayed the height of hypocrisy yesterday in his Valley Forge speech in the light of the Supreme Court now having to hear a case in which they're trying to throw the leading candidate of his opposition off the ballot in the name of, of uh, restoring democracy and saving it. Uh, you can't make this stuff up, can you? No, you can't. It's so audacious, you know. I mean, it's so blatant in front of uh, the eyes of everybody. And it, it doesn't just go to that, uh, Randy. It goes to this eight-year history of using every element of the administrative state, which the Democratic Party is a monopoly holder of, using every element they can from the DNI to the CIA to the FBI, to manufacture evidence, literally manufacture it, and then use it in such a way to throw him out of office when they couldn't do that. They manufacture all these lawsuits that have no basis, in fact, once again, none, and throw them at him from the state level, from civil and criminal courts, from the federal level, in hopes of, of doing something to stop him. And we have to look behind all this furious energy at the reason why they're doing it. And the reason why is as simple as, as tyranny is in history. They're trying to hold on to power. And they know that Donald J. Trump is the greatest threat to that monopoly on power through the administrative state. Yeah. You know, I was uh, I was talking uh, with the segments. I had a a disastrous uh, back and forth with the Philippine-based uh, customer. I think she was. It's uh, Her name is Camila, and she sounded like one of those kind of agents. Clearly not yeah. a domestically placed agent for um, a so-called prescription benefit company for a law, Aetna CVS Caremark. I told her I was going to name him. Um, I, I have a patient who had COVID-19. He's, he's definitely eligible for the antiviral. When the government was subsidizing it, Richard, it cost 20 bucks. As of November, it was now on the back of the commercials to bear the cost of it. And suddenly these people needed to pay. Are you ready for this? A thousand dollars because it's not even covered, not covered, not a matter of a high tier copay, not even covered. And, and where I'm going with this is we have now essentially the we, we have arrived at a, a, a socialist state where you have the collusion of a few conglomerates, large consolidated companies, whether they're tech, whether they're in healthcare, well, for that matter, uh, you know, many other industries, education for that matter, colluding with the rule makers, the government in D.C. to to rain down tyranny on the people. And yet the people keep voting for it. That's what I don't understand, Richard. Can you explain it to me? Well, it's, it's, it's frankly, and I don't mean to be insulting, but it's ignorance. 
It's it, we have so long. Our system of government, Randy, when it was designed, was designed in order for people not to have to think about it because it was governed by law. But we have a Democratic Party that has taken advantage of our ignorance or our standoffishness to literally take control of our economy. When you let them into health care, you're letting them into every part of our economy. And at a time where people are, as you know, as a doctor, are most vulnerable, right? You, that's the definition of dependence. And so when you, when you let them into the economy in one area, and it began you know, years ago with the utilities industry. During the Depression, they took over the utilities industry. And it has gone into, now it's in education. They're trying to take over fossil fuels. Wherever they go, they create higher taxes and higher consumer prices and less choices. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. Um, I I know that I think didn't didn't you graduate from uh, Methodist University or I don't know. Do you, I don't know if you have a faith background or not. I, I thought we've covered this before, but yeah. It's SMU, Early Southern on, Methodist. it became clear to me as I watched what was happening with the with the um, corruption of capitalism. Yeah. You know, I think our founding fathers said as much when it came to just the threads of democracy. But I think when it comes to our, uh, you know, our, our economic system, capitalism without scruples, okay, translated morals, okay, translated the good book and the Ten Commandments, <laughs> I think it all crumbles, and I think we're at that point. I mean, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a capitalist, but I'm also curbed by the realization that you you got to treat people fairly, and you gotta you gotta live by some scruples and some fairness and some moral uh, uh, compass. And I'm not sure that even people that claim to be evangelical Christians and others are living by those virtues anymore. I mean, I just I think the whole cultural fabric of our nation is really threatened at this point. And and if that doesn't get straightened out, Richard, is there any hope for the future? Well, I think there is hope, and it, it I think it comes with a renewal. This is a great point in time, really, for the nation to understand the virtues of its founding by comparing it to where we are now. You know, we're we're told that our our founding now was invirtuous by our highest educators. That is an absolute falsehood. Let's go to let's go to the economy, which is what you're uh, dealing with a minute ago. The 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 basis of free enterprise is just that freedom. It comes from Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations and a great philosophical discovery that. If people exercise their own interests and produce for their fellow man or fellow woman products that the society wants, it ends up serving the whole society with prosperity and freedom of choice and a greater amount of choice and lower prices. When you have a government which since, uh, it actually goes back to Teddy Roosevelt taking on the railroads, and then FDR absolutely invading the economy in every sense by dictating from Washington, D.C. Once you, once you have the government inside, of course they're going to benefit themselves. This is not any longer between a producer who produces for society and a society that wants that product. It's a government saying you will only produce these goods. And society, you have to purchase these goods because we dictate it. 
Now, I've just heard that the, that the regulations now posed by the administrative state cause the, cost the American consumer $3 trillion. Mm. Mm. This does not go into how much we pay in taxes. Our highest tax devolves from Medicare. So we're not only paying the highest taxes in the world for our health system, we're also paying the highest prices as individuals. Um, And this is what happens when a government gets in the middle and it becomes their profit center and their power center, right? And so when you see a Donald J. Trump coming up and saying, wait a minute, this system, the whole system is rigged, right? That's why they're trying to rig elections because he sees it and wants to get it right. And he threatened he will take two regulations down for every regulation that remains in the administrative state. Well, what does that mean? That means lobbyists lose power. It means lawyers lose power. Politicians lose power. And they're very threatened by that. Yeah. We're talking with Richard C. Lyons, The DNA of Democracy, his first book, and... um the second book, uh, Shadows of the Acropolis, out as well. And uh, Richard is a, a poet, a screenwriter, a, a, a knowledgeable about the publishing and communications industry. Let's talk about that a little bit. I am buoyed. I, you know, sometimes I get a little down because of these personal experiences I have trying to help our patients. I'm, I'm involved in a direct primary care practice where the patient just pays a monthly retainer and there's no co-pays, no deductibles, and 90% of the care they'll ever need. They get just, they come on in when they need to. We talk over the phone. They text. It's a beautiful thing. I start yeah. losing my cool, Richard, when I have to then help them use, most of them are insured. They just can't use the insurance because no one will see them timely. Um, yes. And it's not the doctor's fault. They're, they've, they've sold out to a system or they're involved in a system that uh, that's a whole other story. But when I get involved in the system that we've been talking about, the corrupt collusion, the crony capitalism, that's where we get in trouble. But I'm seeing some disruptive forces and predominantly in the media and communications. I'm thinking of places like the Daily Wire uh, that are developing an entertainment platform. Uh, I'm thinking of in this healthcare industry, the direct primary care movement. Um, I'm thinking of independent Hollywood uh, 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 film studios like Angel Productions and uh, The Chosen and others. Are these just uh, flashes, uh, are these just little flashpoints that will die down, just one and done? Or do you think this is really a growing movement of a, of a third rail in, uh, in populism, in communications and film production and other things? Well, this is becoming a great discussion because I think what it is is free enterprise actually working outside the mainstream media. And what a thanks we owe to Rush Limbaugh, who who was a pioneer uh, in founding uh, independent radio and talk radio. And that is that is what daily the Daily Wire comes from. And coincidentally, I'm working with a company in in California trying to get. Uh, trying to get some screenplays out that is a hub-and-spoke operation, uh, Randy, that works with producers, screenwriters, directors in a hub-and-spoke operation where you find each other without agents. You find each other without wow. Hollywood. So these yeah. things are springing up, and this is, what, this is the remains of free enterprise. This is what government doesn't control yet. But this is also, again, the threat of John Trump. Um, uh, Donald Trump, sorry. Um, that's the threat. 
these creations outside of the orthodox uh, monoliths that the Democratic Party likes, in other words, outside their Medicare system, outside their Hollywood system, outside their journalism center, um, that, that's what the threat is. It's it's crazy. And, 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 and you know, and I often tell people it's our hope. I, that's our I hope. just turned Medicare age, Richard, and my wife and I were forced. You have to take Medicare. You have to pay for the outpatient Medicare benefit or else you yeah. accrue a 10 percent deficit every year, a 10 percent penalty that then if you ever jump back in that that, you know, accrues and, and is locked in. And I always yeah. remind people, whether it's Medicare, whether it's Social Security uh, you name it, any any program that uh, the government either coerces you into participating in or from a from a disruptive entrepreneurial standpoint obstructs you from entering from a regulatory standpoint. That's something you want to be about. I mean, if you want to get independent movies, ask independent movie makers how hard it is to, to do that because of the regulatory environment. Oh. If you want real health care, ask how hard it is for people who want to render real health care. So my point is, if it's so good for us, why do they force us to do it on the one point or make alternatives so difficult to access on the others? Because they know better than we do. That's what they think. And that is their in- <laughs> the entirety of their thinking is they know better than we do. And, and they have the job to prove it, the tenure, the uh, appointment without the ability of redress. I mean, if, if a person works in the HHS, you can't get rid of them. That is the big dilemma facing uh, a prospective yeah. uh, Trump administration is. And Heritage is working on this, uh, Randy, uh, the 2025 project. How do you get rid of all the persons who were appointed to these positions, who are in the millions now in number, and how do you get them out of their positions? It's it's the ultimate it's the ultimate problem throughout history when creating a democracy, a real democracy, not the kind yeah. Biden talks about. How do you get persons voluntarily to give up power? Yeah. They don't. Well, using and your whole this whole attack on Trump books. is a very visible thing, uh, very visible. Uh, with regard okay. to that. Last question, Richard, before we let you go. Yeah. Uh, you wrote a book called The DNA Democracy. You wrote a book, you know, called uh, Shadows from the, uh, of the Acropolis. Okay, now, knowing what we know about the successful past and how it went south and what eroded it, if you, if you take representative government who put in their time at the legislature in Philadelphia and then went home or D.C. later and went home to their farms and their blacksmith shops and their whatever yes. office. If that's the top of the pinnacle and the valley down in the valley is communism, where are we? Where are we now in 2024 in this election cycle? Are we halfway down the mountain? Are we in the valley? Where are we? I put it a different way, Randy. We're at a Y in the road. We're, we're approaching at, you know, 70 miles an hour, a Y in the road. And we have to choose whether we're going to renew the virtues of our country through an uncorrupted vote in 2024 or whether we're going yeah. to permit ourselves uh, to lurch to socialism because we're all the elements are there. 
uh, of socialism. And it's not, I don't care whether you call it socialism, communism, fascism, whatever. It's tyranny. It's tyrannical rule. And we have, we are a generation that is tested now to decide which, which way and the why of the road we're going to go. All right. We're at a tipping point. We're at a tipping yes. point. And as Yogi Berra said, when you come to a fork in the road, you have to take it. We have no choice. It's going to be one thing or the other. <laughs> Richard C. Lyons, I always treasure our America. conversations, right. and I hope you'll join me again as this political season progresses. Thank you, my friend. Love to. Thank you. Thank you. All right. There he is. All right. It's time for your reaction. We'll get Virginia Cruda's reaction to this political season, where we're at in America, and can we grab it back? Can we grab victory from the jaws of potential defeat? The number is 314-912-1019. Give me a buzz. Let's talk. Coming up in just a few minutes. Randy Tobler, Truth Warrior, Woke Destroyer, on News Talk SDL. Watch us on our live stream using Rumble, Facebook, and Twitter. Welcome back to the program. And um, we're rolling along here on the show. Virginia Cruda is going to join us at uh, 7 at uh, 7.45. Looking forward to that. And then we talked to Bob Onder. We're going to have an interesting discussion with Bob at uh, a little after 8, after the top of the hour news. And then, uh, no, I'm sorry, Mark McCluskey is going to join us then. Yeah, Mark McCluskey is joining us then. And then Bob at uh, 8.25. Sorry, my bad. Uh, but... Uh, I'm interested as an attorney how Mark is processing the appeals process first in Colorado by the Trump people and then in Maine by the Trump people against, uh, in the one case, the Colorado Supreme Court throwing him off. So that appeal is now in front of the Supreme Court of the United States and they're going to hear that case. The Trumpsters have uh, have appealed the Maine Secretary of State's ruling that he is ineligible by virtue of his insurrection. Uh, So we'll see what he says about that. I mean, I think that Mark has been unfairly prosecuted. He knows what it feels like to be unfairly prosecuted, at least from those of us who watched the threatening, harrowing and harassing people threatening his house and his wife. And uh, just by just by brandishing a gun, brandishing a gun, suddenly you're some kind of a, a, a and gal, Mark and his wife. So he knows a little bit about uh, prosecution, prosecutorial misconduct, and uh, uh, judicial misconduct, I think we can say, too. So, and then Bob, you know, he's running for lieutenant governor, but everyone's, I'm getting texts on the on the heels of Blaine Lutgemeyer announcing yesterday that he's out, he's not going to be running, or was it Thursday? But I mean, he's not going to be running again after the end of this term. That opens up a whole can of worms. Is Bob going to pivot to uh, maybe, I don't know, is it too late? Can he, if he wanted to? Can he run for 3rd Congressional District? Uh, Who knows? I don't know what's going to happen. So we'll be talking with him. And then, of course, there's the Jeffrey Epstein thing. I mean, there's a third dose. It either was coming out late last night. It may be out now. I'm having a hard time keeping up with the news cycle. I was up till 11 o'clock last night trying to... Stay up with the current news. It just keeps rolling in. And you know, the fact they, the more they release, there was the first dose midweek and the second dose Thursday. Then, you know, they wait till everyone's asleep and they're partying and they're getting ready for the weekend. And it's not on their minds. Then they release the third dose or they were going to. 
funny how they do that to protect the rich, famous, the elite. That and that's something. I'm telling you, there's collusion. There is collusion, and whether it is unspoken or whether it is absolutely overt collaboration among people, as our former guest uh, Richard, previous guest Richard Lyons just said, in pursuit of power and money, they will do anything to protect one another. You notice the redactions in the Jeffrey Epstein documents. Isn't that interesting? There's still some redacted. What are they protecting? Who are they protecting? Can't protect Jeffrey Epstein. He's dead. Are they protecting FBI miscarriage of what their duties? Are they protecting the people that the FBI should be or were or weren't allegedly uh, the the, the the miscarriage of proper conduct and cavorting with, uh, you know, underage women on Jeffrey Epstein's island or on his ranch. Who are we protecting here? Bill Clinton getting massaged by a young what college girl. We saw that in the airport terminal. That's not new news. That's old news. And then Megan Kelly. Do you have clip one, Jerome? Megan Kelly on her podcast the other day comes up with a bombshell statement that it's like, what in the heck is going on now? Talk about the ultimate tease. Listen to this about Epstein. What she says is that we are going to, to, to capsulize, she says, you know, we haven't heard the end. We're going to be talking about Epstein throughout 24 and, and basically in the next year. So that's, you know, that's 24. That's we're here. And we, we, she said, I'm not at liberty to tell you, but I have it on sound you know, uh, advice or an intimate knowledge, I'm paraphrasing, that we're going to hear from Jeffrey Epstein. Now, what does that mean? I mean, you want to get out the twilight zone, the ghost background here, Jerome? It's like, ooh, you know, what, Epstein back from the dead? Or is there some tape that she's aware of? <coughs> Go ahead and play it if you get it there. We're having some technical problems this morning. No problem. No problem. We'll work through it. It's all good. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's going to be so fascinating. And at some point, if you're just joining us, I got all worked up and related the story I had trying to get some coverage for the medicine that is an antiviral for COVID. And suddenly, since the government isn't subsidizing it, now the commercial, at least one commercial insurance agency through a Medicare prescription plan, maybe with other plans they're covering, I don't know, but through that plan, not covering it, just not covered. So it's a thousand bucks. So it you know you get worked up and you get involved in these things and you should get involved in these things and if you're if you are the victim of tyranny because of collusion with large conglomerates with government and regulations and government involvement whenever you see that and you're a victim of it and if there's any way that you can cry out you should part of it part of the crying out is at the ballot box whether it's for Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump or Vivek Ramaswamy all of them are disruptors i frankly prefer the character of DeSantis or Ramaswamy, despite some of Ramaswamy's over-the-top comments, I think. But generally, I could, I'd tell you, I think their character and uh, they generally conduct themselves in a more honorable manner in many cases than Donald Trump. We can have that discussion, but they're all disruptors. We got to make sure that we hear their, that they hear our voices. We have to make sure that at the ballot box, they hear our votes, that people who are frustrated, whether on the left or the right, if you can influence them, you need to get in front of them and say, you are vote. Don't buy the hook, line and sinker bait of government's going to take care of your problems. That message that keeps coming from the Democrat party and the progressive left and the woke 
the so-called woke. I don't know why we call them woke. To me, awakening is a good thing, but woke implies something good. We should call them broke. They're broke. Their philosophy is broke. Their minds are broke. They want you dependent so that they can rule over your life. But this, this election cycle, if we can get a clean election, is going to be very important. Uh, by the way, we have, um, we have a new initiative, uh, and it's called Bank the Vote by the RNC. <clears throat> and, you know, we saw how in the, in the midterms, <clears throat> in Arizona, in Vegas, weather circumstances, ballot, uh, you know, polling place circumstances got in the way of a lot of people voting. They were turned away. They were told to go to somewhere else. The weather was like discouraging to some people. The uh, the the problem is that we need to get in front of that. If the rules say that you can mail in your ballots like now, I don't think that's the case anywhere. But if if it, if the rules say you can vote in August, please vote in August. Get your votes out there. Make sure that your voice for a disruption of centralized tyranny is heard. Make sure that your voice for the disruptors that will try to unravel the deep state and return some freedom and independence to you, that your voice is heard early and loud and clear at the ballot box. Don't wait until election day. I, I, it, it troubles me to say that. It hurts me to say that. But these are the rules that the Democrats won the midterms by. We can argue whether there was actual corruption by fraudulent votes and forged votes and, you know, I, two dead people voting. That happens to some degree in every election. It's happened in Republican jurisdictions. That's not the big problem. The problem is getting out that vote early on and making sure it's solidified. And so it's called bank the vote. And we're going to talk with a Republican uh, uh, operative uh, hopefully next week. We can get them on and have them talk a little bit more about that. Look, if you're brought to a knife fight, bring the biggest knife. In fact, bring a gun. <laughs> if you're brought to a fist fight, bring a knife or a gun. Play their game, but play it better. Sorry, that's the way it works in modern America. And we're going to have to play by their rules until we can wrestle it back and return this country to the decent, representative, constitutional republic that it should be. That's what we should do. I'm informed that, what, the caller system's still struggling with that? Okay, well, we'll continue to try to work on it. Uh, coming up in next hour, Mark McCloskey, Bob Onder, but coming up in the next segment, Virginia Cruda. Can't wait to talk to Virginia about what's going on and about the various uh, things going on in the, uh, in the courts. Jack Smith over the top in his appellate brief. I want to cover that. So stay tuned for more on the Randy Tobler Show here on 1019-941 News Talk STL. Welcome back to the program. It's 744. Thanks for joining me. Good to be with you. Happy New Year. Virginia Cruda joins us now. You hear her here. You read her here on News Talk STL. You read her on Daily Wire. How you doing, Virginia? Happy New Year. Uh, same to you. I'm, I'm good. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, for the last two years, I have, um, uh, on, on New Year's Eve, no less, have uh, tested positive for COVID from t 21 oh. to 22 and then from 22 to 23. Um, and so I thought, you know what, going into this new year, I was not going to get COVID. And you know what yeah. I did? I got influenza a instead. <laughs> you got influenza. I hope you're feeling better. You doing okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. I just had, I had a, uh, it, it wasn't actually as bad as it could have been. I had, um, uh, fever and, and, you know, the usual stuff. That was how I could tell it wasn't yeah. just a head cold. And you can probably hear my voice is still a little off, but 
Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. I'm um, glad you're, yeah, I'm, glad I'm you're more or less recovered. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I don't, I don't know if you saw this being a, being a veteran. Um, I wanted to talk about a story I heard just this morning. I was listening to a podcast. Mm. Actually, it was the Morning Wire from the Daily Wire, the podcast every morning. Great, great little podcast. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And they were talking about, I think it was that, I think that's where I heard. I don't know. I listened to a bunch in the morning while I'm preparing. But uh, talking about a bunch of military people, uh, ser service members. I think they're all former service members now. Well, I think a few mm -hmm. active. Are They filed, they either filed suit or written a letter asking for people that were involved in the coercive mandate for vaccines for military members court-martialed. Did you see that? I've heard a few things about it. I don't know a whole lot about it. I do think it's interesting because the, the military has always kind of been um, when, it, when it comes to things like vaccines and mandates and stuff like that, it's always kind of been a thing in the military where like flu shots were mandated when I was in, you know, you couldn't, right. you, you couldn't, unless you had a legitimate, I have an allergy to this component of, you know, you could not get out of a flu shot. And there were other, and you know, I worked in a hospital, so there were other immunizations that we had to get. Now, um, I did not have to get the H1N1 vaccine. A lot of people did. Um, I did not have to get it because I was pregnant at the time mm -hmm. and they didn't, it hadn't been tested enough, but th there were a lot of, it, it's always kind of been a thing that the military can mandate that you have specific vaccines. And so I don't, I don't really know how much ground they have yeah. to, to push this just because I think, I think their their argument was the difference between the experimental version and the one that was actually approved and the one that was being mandated was not was still the experimental and the whatever i mean you know there's a bit of a technicality uh, there but at the same I mean, point let's, i think the principle let's be real aren't they all still in, kind of experimental no, they've been approved. I mean, I think they now have been FDA approved. I have well, to no, I, un the various, I understand, uh, I understand the that they've been approved, but we're we're less than three years into their development. We have no idea what the long-term effects of these are, especially the well, the mRNA yeah. vaccines, because we don't we don't know we don't know what we don't know. And so when you right. yes, it's approved, but does that mean we're not still learning the the impact of it? No, of course not. And I think that the issue is that they don't like being they don't like the military being treated as guinea pigs. I mean, we've had yeah. multiple service members who have come back from deployments and, you know, gone off their nuts about a mile and a half because of certain medications that the, the, the anti-malarial drug that. Um, that caused so many problems a few years ago. You know, there are all kinds of different things that are mandated that have caused serious repercussions when it comes to the military. And so they're kind of, I think it's more of a, we're tired of being used as your guinea pigs. And this is just where it's coming to a head. So they feel like they may have a case here. I don't know how far it's going to go because it is standard practice to treat the military that way. I'm not saying it's good. Yeah. I don't like it, but it there is a precedent for the way it's being done. Yeah. Well, and, the, and there is some medical uh, there is some medical 
um, justification, I think. When you're dealing with a fighting force in closed quarters, mm-hmm. uh, in, in immune-challenging uh, situations, right? you know, I can understand that there's, there's a rationale for a little heavier hand in terms of the authority over someone's liberty at that point, you know, and I think there's, you probably are aware of that when you go into the military. Well, um, sure. I mean, on the, the, other the hand, joke is that if, you're, you're where's, military the, where's the humility? Where's the humility? Why is it? Why doesn't, I mean, it's only recently because they they're, they're down on numbers, Virginia, that they've come back and said, well, those of you who left the military, you know, we'd like to have you come back and we'll uh, reinstate yeah. you and whatever dishonorability you had. Well, we'll look the other way. You know, come on. That's too little too late. Uh, I, be- I agree. I've, and also, I think I, I don't know if you, you've talked about this, though, you know, um, there's there's another story that broke last night that I don't know if you saw um, uh the defense secretary Lloyd Austin has apparently been hospitalized after complications <laughs> to a, a, an elective procedure. This is what I was reading. Yes. Um, he's yeah. been hospitalized since January 1st and nobody knew until yesterday. The Biden yep. administration yep. didn't even tell Congress. I, I don't get it. I mean, that's here's here we are involved in kinetic action over in the Red Sea and the Houthis are, are attacking vessels and we're threatening, right. uh, you know, to really, really put down the put down the hammer, uh, which, by the way, I wonder what your opinion on that is. How how long are we supposed to take little jabs before we give them an uppercut, whether it's whether it's in Lebanon, whether it's in northern Iraq, whether it's in uh, Yemen? I, I don't mean, how know long why we weren't does Joe Biden about- pussyfoot around. Well, and you know what's interesting is we had this happen a couple, a couple, uh, maybe a week ago, ten days ago. We got the report that the first American captured uh, captured by Hamas has died in captivity. So, an American citizen taken hostage by Hamas and died in captivity. We don't know if they were killed or just you know slowly allowed to starve yeah. to death or what. We don't know the wow. circumstances. But he, here's my question. When we've lost Americans in a conflict that we didn't start, how long are we going to keep talking about Israel's response to Hamas? And when do we start talking about America's response to Hamas? Because how many is too many? How many is enough? How many, you know, you want to talk about, oh, well, this is what's happening over here. And this is how many, this is how many children you know, if you want to listen to the Gaza Defense Ministry or Gaza Health Ministry, like they're not telling you, you know, what China would tell you about COVID deaths, but they're not, they're lying about it. We know that, but we do know that at least one American has been killed in a conflict that, again, we did not start. And then you look at what's going on in the Red Sea. And Iran is saying, well, if you show up in the Red Sea, we're going to consider that an escalation. And then they shoot at commercial shipping and expect no one to respond because if you respond then you're the one escalating that's what um that's what the al jazeera reporter tried to convince john kirby out of the briefing this week and he's like no no the person who attacked the commercial shipping lines the houthis which by the way backed by iran um so it's like iran gets the houthis to shoot at these ships and then the United States shows up to defend the ships, and Iran says, escalation, escalation, we get to fire back now. No, this is not how this works, guys. Like, yeah. 
so what we what we have to understand, and this the same thing happened with um, with with Russia and Ukraine to a lesser degree, because I don't think Putin is willing to take some of the steps that Iran necessarily is. They're going to view everything as an escalation, so you might as well get something done. Don't just go there and sit there because they're going to call that an escalation anyway. You might as well do something. Go in and get the hostages out, you know, or put a, put an actual defense up around Ukraine. Something, something that's going to make a difference instead of just because as soon as you show up there, you know, Putin's going to view it as, as an escalation if you give Ukraine more weapons. It's just a matter of when he decides that it was enough escalation for him to fire on a NATO country, right? Same thing is going on in Iran. And what I think is that they're watching each other. They're watching each other to see what it takes to get Biden to react. And Mm -hmm. so far, Mm -hmm. (laughs) nothing. It just doesn't work. It didn't work for Neville Chamberlain. No, It's not working for Biden. But yet when you look back at the Trump years, it was his. It was his decisive talk, on occasion, yeah. decisive action. No, but his, his uh, say, unpredictability. Look what Iran happened then. We moved. had pretty good uh, foreign policy and 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 security then, and and pretty good peace. Yeah. Well, Iran may have made the move against, uh, like Hamas may have moved on Israel, whether Trump was elected or not. We don't know. But Putin straight up said that the reason he didn't attack when Trump was in the was in office was because he was unpredictable. And that's yeah. that's the way I said it. Like you, you it's the the walk softly and carry a big stick diplomacy where you say, "Okay, I got the ability to take you out, but I sure as heck are not I'm not going to tell you whether or not I'm coming." Ah, and then you got yeah. Biden who tells him exactly what day we're leaving Afghanistan. <laughs> like you don't do that. Like no. you never ever like First, it, it, I mean, that was ridiculous on its face. You should have gotten everybody out, destroyed or removed all of the weapons, and then announced as you shut the door behind you, oh, by the way, we're not there anymore. Like, that's how you do it. You don't tell them, we're going to leave, and we're going to leave on this date, and this is when our last flight's going to leave. And You can't do that. You don't, you yep. don't ever telegraph to your enemies exactly what you're going to do and when. Yep. Absolutely right. Well, you're you're wise. And look at that. On on the heels of influenza, Virginia continues to pontificate wisely, <laughs> not skipping a beat. And uh, we, we thank you for spending a little time with us. I uh, hope you get some rest this weekend and back to 120 percent, which is what you normally run at uh, by Monday. Thanks very much, Virginia. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right, there she is. Coming up, Mark McCloskey. Can't wait to talk to him about what's going on in the courts and the appeals and his own life as we roll along here on the Randy Tobler Show. 1019-941. After that, Bob Onder, and then we'll have a little time to chat with you guys at 845. Looking forward to that, too. Thanks for being with me. I'm going to go reload a cup of joe. Hope you do, too, and join me after the top of the hour news. 